Good morning. I have no idea what that sound was. Um, we were getting set up this morning, and Braden's up there on the soundboard. And I said, Braden, it's your job to make me sound good. And so he said he was just going to mute me the whole time, and that's what he was going to do. And so I guess that was him trying to figure out how to mute me. I'm going to scoot this over because I know I tend to talk with my hands, and I'm afraid I'm going to slap Adam if uh, it's too close. But yesterday I was in here setting this up, and I remember thinking last week, if you were here last week, that uh, this was a cool little basket. Um, and then I noticed that it had this dirty bird on it, and so now I'm a little disappointed that it's even up here. But we are glad you're joining us. It is time for Kids Church, so if you are a kid, I'm surprised Ethan's still in the room. Uh, if you are a kid, you are free to head out right now. I know we've got something awesome planned for you downstairs in the kids area, so uh, you can head down there. And we are glad you are here to worship with us today. And if you're joining us online, thank you for joining us online. We're super excited to, that you are there, but we'd love for you to be here. Uh, and so being a, in the house with the family, uh, singing and, and worshiping together uh, is just an awesome experience. And so we're glad you're joining us, but we'd love for you to join us in person if you can. And we thank you for everybody that is here. And so I want to share some good news with you this morning. And that's what we come to church for is the good news, right? And the good news is this, seven weeks till spring, all right? I checked the calendar. I'm not waiting on the groundhog. I went ahead and checked the calendar myself, seven weeks. Uh, so you can mark that down. Um, and I know after this past week, I am ready because this past week was cold, just bitter cold. Um, so cold. I know, you guys know Adam. Adam likes to go south. Adam actually made it back. Uh, he's here somewhere, but he likes to go south when it's cold. And so they went to somewhere down in the, the Caribbean. And then this past week, he went south. He went to Richmond, Kentucky, which isn't that far south. So I don't know that that helped him very much. Um, but he's back because that didn't work. But if you missed last week, I want to strongly encourage you to go to our Facebook page or go to the, the resources section of our website and check out the awesome message because Adam kicked off this sermon series titled Free. And then Free, we're, we're walking through part of Paul's letter to the new Christians in Rome. And an overwhelming theme of the book of Romans is the righteousness of God. And it's incredibly difficult to talk about God's righteousness without the blaring reminder of our unrighteousness, isn't it? If there's anything we as humans are, are really, really good at, it's the comparison game. And when we see someone that's really good looking or really good at doing something, our minds can't help but think about the ways that we don't measure up. It works the other way, too. When we see someone mess up or struggling, our minds often think about the ways that we're doing better than them. At least, I, at least I've got that part of my life right. We're great at playing the comparison game. As a matter of fact, we're so good at playing a comparison game that we even do it with God. We read about and learn about all the awesome qualities of God, His perfection, His righteousness, and get totally lost in the thought that we can never live up to that. We can't measure up to that, and we don't measure up to that. We don't measure up to God because God is sinless. God is righteous, and we're not. We are not perfect because, as Adam explained last week, we are born into Adam, the first Adam, 
And because we are born into Adam, sin lives in us. Sin is one of those churchy words that we use a lot to talk about our mistakes. I was doing some research and looked up the definition of sin, and and many of the search results uh, use very similar wording. And they basically describe sin as this transgression against divine law. Which isn't wrong, but if I haven't been to Bible college, what does that even mean? And then I stumbled upon this definition in uh, Britannica. And it describes sin as this. It says, the deliberate and purposeful violation of the will of God. The deliberate and purposeful violation of the will of God. I like this definition because it seems very clear to me. When I choose to go against God's, what God wants, then I'm guilty of sin. Plain and simple. When I choose to go against what God wants, then I am guilty of sin. If God wants me to place him first in my life and I choose to let other things be my priority and and let other things come before my worship of God, I'm guilty of sin. If God wants me to honor my parents and I choose to be disrespectful to them, teenagers, listen up, then I am guilty of sin. If God wants me to be honest and trustworthy and and I choose to tell lies and I'm guilty of sin. If God wants me to be faithful to my spouse and I choose to covet or lust after someone that isn't my spouse, then I am guilty of sin. When I go against what God wants, I am guilty of sin. Now, there's a couple arguments that we often make here. The first is this. I didn't know what God's will was, so how can I be accountable for not following it? We use that, right? We say things like, but, but I didn't know. I didn't know that was the case. I remember once we were traveling uh, to visit some of Angela's family in southeast Ohio. And we'd been on this divided highway out in the middle of nowhere for probably about an hour. And the only other vehicle I'd seen in at least the last half hour was this one black pickup truck. And we were kind of cruising back and forth about the same speed. And I honestly have no idea what the speed limit was on that road because I couldn't remember ever seeing a speed limit sign. And I usually look for those things. This other guy seemed to be doing what I thought was an appropriate speed for the road. And so I just kind of followed suit and set the old cruise control on 70. Now, I would later find out that the posted speed limit for this particular highway was 55 miles an hour. So let me ask you this. Was I guilty of breaking the law and speeding? Now remember, I didn't know. I didn't know what the speed limit was. I had no idea. This other guy looked like he was going a good speed, so I followed him. Was I guilty of breaking the law? Well, according to the nice law officer, who was kind enough to have me pull over... The answer is yes. Yes. Even though I was unaware that I was traveling above the posted speed, I was indeed guilty of breaking the law. Although I didn't think, I did think it was pretty cool that instead of using conventional radar, he used an airplane to clock my speed. I thought that part was kind of neat. But I was guilty. And just like I was guilty of speeding, when we go against God's will for our lives, Whether we're unaware of it or simply unaccepting of it, we are guilty of sin. 
The other argument that we often make when it comes to the sin in our life is this. I know it's wrong, but I just can't help myself. And maybe you found yourself saying those type words. I try to stop it. I try to avoid it. I try to overcome it, but I can't control it. My mom hated that word can't. Or at least she did whenever I used it. She used to tell me can't never could. Anybody have a mom say can't never could? I'm not sure if I ever truly understood what that meant. But I heard it enough that I got sick of it. And was motivated to take that word out of my vocabulary as best I could. Can't never could. Well, Adam described this last week as letting sin be our master. If you've ever battled an addiction, you know this feeling. You feel like it controls you. It controls your thoughts and your desires. Both physically and mentally, it controls you. And if you've ever gotten clean, you've probably also discovered that those thoughts and desires don't go away. They're always there in the back of your mind. And that's exactly why when we relapse, it's often worse than it was before. But when you got clean, what changed? What was different? In most cases, you found a support system that would walk alongside of you, help hold you accountable. You discovered coping methods that enabled you to tell that thing that it was no longer your master, whatever that was. If you remember last week, Paul shared his own struggles with sin. He said, so the trouble is not with the law, for it is spiritual and good. The trouble is with me, for I am all too human, a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know that what I am doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. So I am not the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. And I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature, I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. And Paul explained to us that when Adam chose to go against God's will for him, he introduced sin into the world. And because when we're born, we're born into Adam... It's like we talked about last week, we're born into Adam. We are born with the propensity to sin against God. You see, Adam brought sin into the world. Sin. And so we're going to give that to Adam. We're going to let him hang on to that. Adam brought sin into the world. And it's because of that initial sin that we still today struggle with sin in our lives. It's because of Adam's mistakes that we still battle our mistakes because sin lives inside of us. And it's important to note that sin is not a specific action. As a matter of fact, when Paul talks about sin, he talks about it as a, as a noun, not a verb. And Paul was so disgusted with his own personal struggles. Listen to how he describes himself in verse 24. He says, oh, what a miserable person I am. That's how Paul describes himself. The NIV and King James use a different word. Every What a wretched man I am. We don't use words like wretched anymore, but that's what Paul said. The way Paul talks about himself here tells me that he absolutely hated the sin that he struggled with personally. 
and he hated the control he allowed it to have over him. And I'm guessing that many of us can relate to Paul here. I know there have been moments in my life where I've cried out, what is wrong with me? Why do I keep doing this? I don't want this in my life. What do I have to do to overcome this? And I think that's the kind of questioning that sets us up for failure. What do I have to do to overcome this? And if you've been in this situation or you're currently facing this situation, then you probably, you've probably learned that there doesn't seem to be a what that will fix you. There's not a book you can read or a prayer you can pray or a group you can join or a sermon you can listen to that will fix you. When we lean into and rely on our own abilities to overcome sin, we will fail. I've always said that we can't begin the process of overcoming sin and temptation in our lives until we first recognize and acknowledge our own weaknesses. And when we recognize and acknowledge that we are weak and incapable of saving ourselves and freeing ourselves from the propensity to sin, then it becomes clear that we need help. And that's what Paul acknowledges in the very next line. When he says, oh, what a miserable, what a wretched person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? You see, the answer to our struggles isn't a what, but a who. He says, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. He says, I'm a wretched sinner, incapable of saving myself. And if I'm incapable of saving myself, then I need a Savior. And if I need a Savior to free me from my sins against God, then the only logical person that can save me from my sins against God is God himself. And how does God go about saving me from my sins against him? Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Here's what Paul's trying to sum up to us, and here's what we need to hear here. Just as the single unrighteous act of one man, Adam, ensured that we were born a slave to sin. So when Adam sinned in the Garden of Eden, he introduced sin into the world, which meant everybody related to Adam and born under, uh, the power, was born under the power and authority of sin. Just as one single unrighteous act of one man ensured that we were born slaves to sin, So does the single righteous act of one man, Jesus, free us from the power of sin. Amen? When Jesus died on the cross for our sins, we are no longer required to live in Adam. We can now choose to live in Christ. And when we live in Christ, then we are free from the power of sin. And I know what some of you are thinking because it's what I'm thinking. If I'm free from the power of sin then why can't I stop? Paul knew this would be a hard concept to accept, and that's why he addressed this very idea back in chapter 6. So we're going to look at chapter 6 here for a few minutes. Starting in verse 1, he says, Well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of His wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? 
Now let's pause here for a minute. He says, no, we shouldn't keep on sinning because we have died to sin. And who's he talking to here specifically? He's talking to Christians. He's talking to us. Everyone that has moved from in Adam to in Christ. He's talking to us. And he says that if we have surrendered our lives to Christ, then we have died to sin. In other words, sin is no longer our master. It has no control of us anymore. And if sin is no longer our master, if we have died to sin, then how can we keep living in it? And if you're like me, you're thinking, well, well, that's the easy part, right? It's easy to live in sin. I don't need help with that. I know how to do that. I could write a how-to book on that. But Paul's not asking, how do you do it? What Paul is asking is, why would you? Why would we do that? Why would anyone that's been set free from sin and the consequences of it continue to live in it? Why would anyone keep saying yes to a master that is no longer their master? If you change jobs and your old boss calls you up and says, hey, I need you to come in early tomorrow, do you go? No. Because that person no longer has authority over you. So why, as Christians who have been set free from the power and authority of sin, continue to let sin tempt us away from God's will in our lives? Why? And the truth is, we don't know. That's our answer, right? If we're asked, why do you keep doing this? Why do you keep giving in to sin? Our answer is, I don't know. I just do it. And I think Paul knew that Christians in Rome would have that same response too. Because he follows up the first question with this one. Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? And then IV it says, or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Don't you know that when you surrendered your, your life to Christ, when you said, Jesus, I need saving, when you asked Jesus to be the Lord of your life, when you moved from in Adam to in Christ, don't you know that when you were baptized into Jesus Christ, you were baptized into his death as well? Remember, when we were in Adam, what was true of Adam was also true of us. We were separated from God. We were lost and we were slaves to the power of sin. Sin was our master. But when we put our faith in Christ, when we move from in Adam to in Christ, what was true of Adam is no longer true of us. Now that we are in Christ, what is true of Christ is now true of us. When Jesus died, the power of sin that lived in us, his followers, also died. Paul says in verse 4, he says, For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. We often say that baptism symbolizes the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. But it's truly a whole lot more than just symbolization. Because if we are in Christ then what is true of him is also true of us. So when Jesus died and was buried, we too died and were buried. And when Jesus defeated death and rose again, we too are resurrected into a new life in Christ. 
All the benefits of Christ's death and resurrection have been applied to us because we are in Him. By show of hands, how many of you believe that because you have asked Jesus to forgive your sins, that because you have been saved, that you will go to heaven when you die? How many believe that? If you are a Christian, then you should believe God's promise of eternal life in heaven to those who believe and put their trust in Jesus. But that's only part of the gospel. That's only part of the good news. Because what Paul is trying to tell us is that this promise from God doesn't just apply to us after we die, but also in life. When Paul says that we may live new lives, he's not talking about after our physical death. He's talking about after our spiritual resurrection. After we move from in Adam to in Christ. And that starts the moment we decide in our hearts that we no longer want to be what we are. When we say, God, I don't want to be in control of my life anymore because when I'm in control, my life is out of control. When we say, I need to be washed by the blood of Christ. I need to be forgiven of my sins. I need to make Jesus my Lord. We know that when we step into the water and are baptized, that that baptism represents the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And because we are now moving from in Adam to in Christ, that baptism also represents the death and burial of what we were, our old lives, and our resurrection into this new life in Christ. And that's what Paul's trying to get through to us here. Look at verse 5. He says, since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. When he talks about our old selves and our new selves, he's not talking about our earthly lives and our heavenly lives. He's talking about our in Adam lives and our in Christ lives. Remember, once we are in Christ, then what is true of Christ is also true of us. When Christ was crucified, our old sinful selves were crucified with him. When Christ was buried, our old sinful selves were buried with him. Sin no longer has power over us because the part of us that was a slave to sin is dead and has been buried. And what is dead and buried no longer has power over you. And that's why Paul says this. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know we will also live with him. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead and we will, he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. When Christ died, he died once and for all. He defeated sin and his death, and then he defeated death. He doesn't have to keep dying. He doesn't have to be crucified again and again. He doesn't have to keep defeating sin because sin is dead. And once you are in Christ, sin is dead to you too. Sin is no longer your master. Sin can no longer control you unless you choose to say yes to sin. 
just like your old boss, can no longer tell you when to be at work unless you choose to listen to them. They have no authority over you. And when you are in Christ, sin has no authority over you. And here's how Paul pulls all this together. Verse 11. So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to the sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God. For you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. He says you were dead, but now, now, not later, not then, now, you have new life. Now. Remember, you are in Christ now, which means that the new life is now. And then he says this. Sin is no longer your master. Sin is no longer your master. Look, if you don't hear anything else I say, if you're going to take anything from this message home with you, let it be this. Sin is no longer your master. You can tell it no. Matter of fact, why don't we say this together? I'm going to put the words up on the screen. Let's say this together. Sin is not my master. Hey, if you're watching online, all right, I want you to say this so loud that your neighbors come to check on you, okay? I want us to say it like we mean it. Let's say this together. Sin is not my master. Let's change it up a little bit. Let's whisper it. You ready? Sin. See, we can say it loud, we can say it quiet. It doesn't matter how loud we say it. What matters is that we say it and that we believe it. Whenever you feel temptation creeping in, say to yourself, sin is not my master. And if you need to tell yourself, if you need to tell yourself this a hundred times a day, join the club, all right? But that's okay, do it. Whatever it takes, sin is not my master. If we are in Christ, then we need to stop asking Jesus to keep dying for us. He already did that. And when he did, sin lost its power over you. And you may be saying, maybe you've been saying yes to sin since you've since the day you became a Christian. Maybe you've been saying yes to sin your entire life because it's just such a big part of you. And it's so strong. You just feel like you don't have a choice, like you can't say no. You find yourself in this awful battle of just going back and forth. Like, I really don't want to do that, but I'm familiar with that. It's, it's, it's what I'm used to, so I do want to do that. But I really don't want to do that. And we have this battle back and forth. We're going to talk about this battle more over the next couple weeks. But here's what you need to know from this point forward and for the rest of your life, whether you ever do anything about it or not, you need to know that sin is not your master. If you are in Christ, 
You are no longer in Adam, which means in Christ, sin is defeated and it is not your master. Can you imagine living a life like that? Can you imagine if maybe this afternoon and you, and you get home and all of a sudden there it is. There's that thing, that person, that desire that you really have a hard time telling no. There it is in front of you. But this time you recognize it for what it is. You recognize and acknowledge that it's Satan's tool of trying to get you back. Get, you, get that identity back to put you in a place where you don't want to be. And you look at that thing and you say no. Sin is not my master. Maybe you got to yell it. No, sin is not my master. Whatever it takes for you to shut that thing down. But you got to remember that you're not in Adam anymore. You're in Christ. This approach to life has the power to change everything that you wish was different about your current life. We all have areas of where sin and we all have areas in our life where sin has had a negative impact, where sin has made it not what it ought to be. Whether it's our habits, our health, our relationships, our attitude, our marriage, our kids, our jobs, our friends, whatever it is, when we acknowledge that we are no longer in Adam, when we acknowledge that we are in Christ and that being in Christ means that when he died, he killed sin once and for all. When we accept that Jesus killed sin once and for all, then we can start living with the confidence that Satan lost any power and authority that he has over us. Say it with me. Sin is not my master. Let me pray for us.